Good day, good afternoon, good night, good whenever it is that you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. This is the Woke and Baked Podcast, and on this episode, I had the opportunity to hang out with uh, coach and referee Jared Simmons. If you are familiar with Jared Simmons, great. If you are not, here's the quick skinny on him. He is one of the most accomplished referees in Alaska as far as mixed martial arts go, boxing, kickboxing, combat sports. If you watch the AFC, you have seen him calling fights. Um, and uh, he's also a coach. And we talk about some of the benefits of being both a coach and a referee and knowing what those rules are and uh, your influence on them. So if you've ever been curious about a re- being a referee and what uh, what sort of knowledge base goes into that, this is a great, great uh, conversation with a, a very well-educated man on the subject. I would like to thank this, uh, take this opportunity to thank my, uh, my sponsor, Iron Asylum Gym. Uh, new location, still on K Beach, but it's at the uh, old Redemption Mixed Martial Arts location on K Beach next to Save You More. Kind of behind Save You More, close to, thereby. You'll see the big trucks outside. Uh, clearly, you know, the possessions of men who are overcompensating, but I digress. Nonetheless, uh, shout out to my sponsor, Iron Asylum. Right now, let's go straight into the episode. Trap Lord Circuit, da 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 da. Take it away. All right, I'm here with Jared Grizzly Simmons. Could you spell your name, sir? Uh, J-A-R-I-D-S-Y-M-E-N-S. So how long have you been coaching? How long have you been refereeing? And how long have you been involved in martial arts? Uh, I've started uh, roughly, I want to say, about 2010. So about 8 to 10 years. So I'd say about that would be... Um, fair assessment be about 2010 so what led you into the direction of martial arts well always a big fan you know grew up in in uh anchor point alaska not very much going on and stuff like that watched a lot of movies big fan fan dam so and so forth uh and then when you know we we were lucky enough to get satellite um and we actually uh uh my brother and i we we actually ordered one of the pay-per-views to the UFC and that was the first UFC watching uh, that that I ever did but uh, we weren't supposed to so we got our ass beat by that but not not too bad our parents were awesome uh they they're mad at us but we 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 got to watch uh the first time Randy Couture uh fought so it was probably about 1997 uh, talking about it before it was a first uh UFC watch but that that's kind of what got my interest in it more and more I was a big fan of Bruce Lee growing up and I was a big fan of Van Damme growing up and uh those kind of spurred those and believe it or not like kickboxers was the reason that I actually went to Thailand to begin with it's just you know the crazy kickboxer movie um but uh getting involved with this is there but really when i started training was was there in germany and uh started doing muay thai in germany and uh moved back to alaska and then i went to thailand and trained in thailand and then just kind of got involved with everything and and uh wanted to the learn how to fight experience the fight and so on and so forth and and found out that i you know you had a good way of relaying that information to other people. So um, I started coaching, and coaching just kind of seemed natural, and I've been going at it ever since. How did you get involved with uh, being a referee? With a referee. Um, when I was over there in Germany, my my uh, coach, a uh, guy named um, uh, Reza, um, 
he was a the WBC representative out of Iran and Germany. So he was in charge of both of those spots. So Iran and Germany. And uh, what he did is he was actually uh, worked on clinics to actually certify people in WBC or a boxing council as for boxing and Muay Thai because uh, there in Europe they had multiple boards and multiple different organizations just like they do here boxing here. Um, so they, they had, had to actually have a stable of like referees and so on and so forth. So, uh, trained us up and he brought over a gentleman from Thailand named, uh, Hontong Anik. Well, I guess he, the way that you say it is Anik Hontong, if you were saying it in Thai, but, uh, he, um, he came over and he, he worked a clinic. It was about like three or four days and we worked through a lot of different stuff. And I got my first certification in refereeing for an official, um, not just refereeing, but judging through that. And Hong Tong Anik, actually, believe it or not, actually is has been a longtime judge, referee, and so on and so forth. But like he, big title fights like Oscar De La Hoya and such like that. I go back. I'm trying to think of the one off the top of my head. It might have been Oscar versus Floyd Mayweather. If I'm if my memory serves I me, mean, could be wrong. But uh, Hong Tong Anik was one of the judges for Mayweather versus Oscar De La Hoya. But that's the guy I got my uh, um, uh, certification through is, is that gentleman. Um, so I was over there in in Germany and I in and I had the opportunity if I wanted to I could have stayed there but I lived there for five years and and I decided to move back here to Alaska. Uh, I came back home just you know missed a lot of family been away for about a decade and decided I want to move back so I moved back and came back here and I started getting trying to get involved with the local scene. Um, and, and try and see what's going on with it and try and see how I could be involved. And it looks like that just my path was more, you know, focused towards that, uh, to the refereeing, to the coaching, so on and so forth. Even when I was trying to attempt to fight myself is, is still like, while I was doing all that, I was still coaching, I was still refereeing and such like that. So it, it seemed like my natural path seemed like it was going in that direction. So. Okay. Do you think that having the international experience, the international education has been beneficial to you as an instructor? Oh, absolutely. It just anytime they get multiple different perspectives on, on one situation. So a fight is one situation. If you get multiple different perspectives, one person sees it one way, see it the other way, see it the other way, see it the other way. Either Each one of those people might have saw something that was really good, but not all one of them would have saw all the good, you know? So trying to get a lot more perspective, seeing a different scene over there was really beneficial versus coming here because, you know, to be honest here in Alaska, everybody's really beginning. They're just starting. And I'm really happy to be a part of everybody starting and growing, I, you know, being involved in bigger and better promotions and thing, things like that. And I, I, I feel bad by saying better, but just bigger promotions. Um, but the the seeing how they actually ran and orchestrated things and how it actually goes and stuff like that, it was really beneficial. It means that maybe I can help people out to see that you can do things a little bit better and so on and so forth. But I also saw bad sides of that over there as well. There was a lot of bullshit over there too. A lot of politics. Um, just like there's a lot of politics that can happen in any type of fighting world or anything like that, especially in the state or regional circuit. But... Um, you know, I, I think the benefit was was seeing different levels. So see that level, see this level, so on and so forth, and, and knowing how a fight goes. And well, to be honest, it, I think the it, it really didn't matter if, if it was in Europe, didn't matter if it was here or anything like that. It was just that was the beginning of my experience 
And as my experience has gotten better, learning how to actually judge the flow of the fight, how things are going, actually look at the fighter and understand what the fighter's going through, so on and so forth, been there in those situations. Um, but uh, I think it was just the experience that was the important part, not not where it was in the international competition, so on and so forth. That doesn't matter, Dick. But the, what really mattered was just the experience going through those different type of things. So it does help. A little bit because seeing different levels, there, there, there was different things that I saw and different perspective there. That that's great to have that dis, uh, that perspective. But to be honest, I think the the experience was uh, more important than 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 where it was. Like even if I would have started here, you know, I'm from here. Um, but if I would have started here, I think the experience was more than anything else. Is understanding fights more and then doing your research more and more and, and things like that. That's when the biggest thing is. Is I, I want to know how the fights should be going that's one but a fight is fight you know no clue how the hell it's going to go but actually having the experience of knowing what to do in every situation that's going to actually come about in a fight which there's so many different possibilities well how is the the language barrier over there oh well shit. the the oh. language okay so what do you the language matter, uh, and I grew up in Germany, so I understand mm-hmm. that when I say language barrier, it's it, it's really not that bad. No, it, you know, yeah. most most Germans that I interacted on a regular basis with spoke much better English than I spoke German. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, mine was so bad. Like when it come to speaking Deutsch, uh, speaking that, I was so bad at doing it. They laughed at me and they said, "Don't worry, I'll speak English with you." Yeah. So my like my conversational German was so bad that 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 they quite literally I on more than one occasion said, "Oh, you poor soul! I'm I'm gonna just speak English with you to make it easier." Did you ever run into a circumstance in in the ring where the the language barrier? Was oh no, issue? absolutely not. No, one one hundred percent you don't. Uh, you don't have that problem. And one of the things is it's pretty simple to know what the like when it comes to the rules and such like that. You talking to the corners may be a little bit different, and, and especially over there in Europe, because in Europe you, you're not going to deal with just Germans, okay? Not going to deal with just that. You you have Dutch that are coming be coming over. You have Belgians, which is different, a small little change in the dialect. You'll have people from France, so on and so forth. So that that, but everybody internationally knows what the rules are. Like uh, certain things, like kicking to the groin, so and so forth. Hey, you gotta take your time, do your minutes. You can come up to him, say this, point your hand, do those type of things, and they're gonna know those things mostly. So, it, like to be honest, um, at one event, one event, and the event that that I had my first uh, kickboxing match, my very first kickboxing match, uh, the the people that were with me fighting in my uh, camp alone. I'm from the United States. Uh, one guy's from Romania. One guy is from Kosovo. One guy is from France. One guy's from Italy. These are all guys inside my camp that are fighting out of Wittlich, Germany. So they're all at one spot, but all of them that one spot. So it, like, and we could sit there and talk. I can't speak any of their damn languages, to be honest, but we're all able to actually go and work through through things. And I think they just try to help me out because maybe I'm a stupid American. But um, I never had that issue when it came to the refereeing. And I only did a, a, just a hand, well, less than a handful of times, about three or four times before I moved back to Alaska. Uh, so I only did uh, judging and refereeing just a handful of times. Never had the issue when it came to um, um, like a language barrier at all. So do you think that uh, being in in Anchorage, 
right now at a time where there's sort of a, I don't know if there's a, a resurgence or a renaissance or or, a, or a renewed interest in, in combat sports. Do you think that being back in Anchorage uh, at that time, do you think that, that that's a coincidence or do you think that, that it, maybe that's how it was supposed to be? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of it was supposed to be. I think I got here in a time where it was, it was fun and interesting and, and, and that, and that's one of the things that I find really good. I don't know, like, if it was, you know, like, you know, one of those meant to be stuff like that type shit. But what, what I'm talking about is it, it was as a great time that I got went in here and, uh, and, and to be honest, I think it was the people that are involved and being involved with all the people that are kind of just jumping up and, and starting to do these things. So it, it was kind of neat. I think I came like there was stuff before I came here to Alaska, you know, there's stuff before here, uh, like different events and things like that. But it, it kind of seems like everything kind of went down for a while. And it definitely looks like it's on the upswing about people being, like you were saying, renewed interest is a good thing to, or a good way to put it. People are more interested in this versus other things. Um, and I think it was kind of, to be honest, not, not only was it a good time, but an opportune time. And what I mean by an opportune time was um, there wasn't a lot of knowledgeable people up here. There was a lot of people that were guessing. There was a lot of people, things like that. There weren't a lot of knowledgeable people. And, you know, I just happened to be one of those people that ventured out and, and gained some knowledge. And, and that's all it was. It could have been anybody else. But uh, I, I went out there and just gained some knowledge and bring it back. The great thing about it is, it, like, it does kind of feel, and it, it's awesome to feel, that it seems like things are growing and people are getting more knowledgeable. And, and if I had a small little portion or a small little, um, um, uh, a little bit that I actually had into that, that actually grew, uh, that I'd be really happy. It's, it's kind of great to see how it's growing right now. Just like the event we did, uh, did tonight, it, as silly and crazy as it is and doing stuff that I've never done before on uh, that type of stuff is, is, it was, it was a lot of fun. I just love seeing, uh, this stuff growing and definitely the interest definitely seems like it's growing, which makes me really damn happy because for a while it was pretty damn stagnant and it didn't seem like a lot of things were going places on, on certain fronts, but I, um, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see things actually grow. Okay. Uh, can we switch gears for just a quick second? Staying with, with refereeing, mm -hmm. how did you get involved with professional wrestling? Oh, uh, well, that would be definitely from uh, Matt Plant from Power Plant Productions. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that in there. There, there you go. Um, but no, the, first, the, the only time I ever got involved with that, I, I you know I was a fan of wrestling. You know, like I, I, you know, I didn't grow up watching crazy amount of wrestling, uh, but you know, like we'd go to a video store and rent like the WrestleManias and we'd watch them and, you know, like it was anchor point. Um, but watch those types of things. Uh, I didn't become really a big fan of wrestling until I was working in Germany, believe it or not. And, and on AFN, you got the, the Raws, the Smackdowns, and the pay-per-views for free. You got them all. With uh, all the UFCs. Yeah. Shout out to Vince McMahon and Dana White. Thank you very much for the free pay-per-views. Thank you very, very much. Bless your patriotic souls. We love you. <laughs> You're damn right. 
No, it, like that. That's when I first got into it. Is because uh, I had two guys I was working with in, in the shop over there in Spingalm, and uh, we we wouldn't mention uh, miss it. It would be our lunchtime, like little siesta. We're we're lunchtime. We're watching Raw or watching SmackDown or watching the pay per view. So we're doing that on top of watching every UFC. Could I actually even bought like the like bought the first thirty UFCs like on DVD? There was like. Uh, three like big cases of the DVDs. Oh, I, I bought the same. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, dude. I, I bought those same ones, and we were, started watching those because I got really big into them because I got those guys into. They got me into wrestling. I got them into UFC. Yeah, you get the Amazon box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the mm-hmm. early like the early like semaphore stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. And then and then from there we just yeah you know, never missed a UFC and and like uh, um, I was telling you before was uh, there on the base I helped organize to get people to UFC ninety nine and UFC one twenty two through uh, the information ticket and travel as a little organization it was one of my the, the little side gigs I was doing as well so I'd take people on uh, like on these little trips and stuff. Uh, but I got everybody go to these events. It was it was awesome, and, and then like it was crazy. Like I kind of look back back then. Like at that time, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, what, uh, 24, 25 years old, and stuff like that. I've never had a fight in my life or anything. I've never done anything. I've I've, I've never like I've done small little training wrestling here. Wrestled when I was like in the seventh and eighth grade or something like that. Yeah, but I never really had to fight. And, and, uh, but I was a huge fan of all of this stuff. And one of the biggest things that got me into fighting was actually just wanting to learn how that happens and how the response would be. That was always a fun question. I don't know. I think I might be getting really stoned. But, anyways, but, uh, um, that, I like, Going to those UFCs, I think, was one of the, the best things I ever did because as visceral it was and then getting everybody involved. And there were so many people that were so big into it that before I like all that stuff happened, I was I was into it, but I wasn't that into it. And like got into it even more going to the events after the events, um, started talking to more people and then went to the second event. And on that second event, I'd already started training and I'd already actually trained with people go, uh, from the UFC. Uh, before 122 and, and it, it was actually that that's what kind of started this ball going somewhere I, I think I might have just got myself too stoned I might be just rambling no 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 hey my friend I can it's totally cool I'm going to share with you my UFC 99 story okay uh-huh. because you have your 99 story and I'm and I find my picture going and I thank uh, I thank the, the Lord every day uh, that uh, your tour to UFC 99 was sold out and I was unable to get a, a ticket because I got one of the best nights of my life out of that. And oh. I'll, I'll explain this to you. Yeah. So I had just gotten back from a deployment and during this deployment, I discovered mixed martial arts. I discovered jujitsu. I discovered the great Fedor Emelianenko and I discovered these, the series of old fucking Balitudo fights from Vanderlei Silva, these bare knuckle fights where he was fighting everybody and I fell in love with Vanderlei Silva. I watched all those pride fights. He was just such uh, an entertain, just an entertaining guy. And I would watch this uh, this video. It is like training montage that somebody ripped off of YouTube and distributed. I'm sure 
100% illegally. But I would watch that, and then I'd go to the gym every day, you know, and work out. And I, during that deployment, I took off like 60 pounds, and I credit a huge chunk of that to Vanderlei Silva. Anyway, so Vanderlei in that fight was fighting Rich Franklin, and I was so excited for that. I was actually, if I recall correctly, uh, Czech Congo and Cain Velasquez yes, sir. fought on that. Yes, sir. I don't remember that because I watched it. I remember that because I watched it later because my good friends who whose names I can't say because some of them are still in the military uh that you see that air base that that you uh you worked at was on a lockdown that weekend because mm-hmm. of DUIs. Yep. Nobody could leave. I was able to get off base because I took leave uh, and I had just gotten back from a deployment. Some buddies of mine decided that that was some stupid bullshit and they weren't going to play along. So we took a cab to the train, and before we left, we stopped by the little shop at, and we got a whole lot of liquor. Mm. And we didn't get, like, good classy liquor. We got, like, that pre-mixed Bacardi stuff, like mm-hmm. the zombie. And, oh, great. Yeah, just out of the cooler. Like, we weren't trying to keep it delicious. So I'm pounding this the whole way down there, and I'm super-duper drunk. By the way, we don't have tickets, None of us, oh, none man. of us have tickets. So you guys we're, were going over to, because this was Cologne. It was in this Cologne. This was in Cologne. This yeah. was in the Laxness Arena. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we um, we didn't have guaranteed tickets. So we were hoping for the best. You know, we were going to try and find a scalper that could get us as close together as possible. Turns out they didn't sell nearly the number of tickets they thought. We were able to get a steal of a deal, smoking deal all together. We sat ne- we were able to sit next to each other. I um I was very intoxicated. Let me just say that that's that's a good one and a half, maybe hour uh train ride. I, I'm not with with stops. And I I was deployed. I was in the desert where there wasn't a whole lot of alcohol, and it was Qatar, so there was a little bit of alcohol, but not like this. And uh, and I was power drinking. My, it was, the whole night was a mess. So, at one point, once we get into Laxness Arena, we get our seats, and they're great seats. We can see the whole fights. And I want to say Dan Hardy probably just got done. I want to say it was Dan uh, Hardy, Marcus, Marcus Davis. Yeah, it was a great fight. Yeah. Yeah. We missed that. <laughs> I decided that I needed to go outside and smoke a cigarette, which is, seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, met some really nice, uh, you know, kickboxers along the way, some heavyweight kickboxers, uh, some K1 guys. Went outside at the smoking section and, uh, met a really nice German guy who was talking to him. And he turns out that guy was one of Rich Franklin's handlers. Oh, no shit. Yeah. yeah and, awesome. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, Rich loves talking to the Americans. Yeah. Come with me. Yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's fucking great. I'm going to do that. I don't. You you better not be lying to me. Did so, you go meet up with Rich Franklin? No, no, no. I'll tell you what happened. So I sit down, right? Because I'm like, I'm the room's starting to spin. And I know what's going to happen next. So I sit down on this little fence. And I'm like, I got to breathe. I got to breathe. And I start puking on myself. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah I start, <laughs> start yakking on myself. And this uh, this American chick, she's like, hey, man, you got you to gotta quit that shit, man. They're going to take you out of here. And I was like, no, I can't fucking move. And I'm, yeah, so I'm super wasted. They pick me up. They put me on a gurney. And as they do that, people are chanting, 
Na 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 na. Hey hey hey. Goodbye. <laughs> so they strolled me down to this little makeshift infirmary. Yeah. Uh, infirmary, and this is when I realized there were two different. There had to be at least two different infirmaries. Yeah. One for fighters, and yeah. then one for drunk Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, because I was the only person there the whole time. All right. <laughs> Like, they gave me water. They're, like, putting me on my... At one point, at the end of it, they kicked me out. You know, like, we can't... Mm -hmm. You can't stay here anymore, man. You gotta... You gotta skedaddle. And, uh... It was really weird, because I I ended up being able to link up with my buddies, who, you know, took... One of them took care of me, uh, you know. (laughs) But we had to... We had to call my... She wasn't my ex-wife then. My then wife. Oh, to, to pick us up from Spangdalem oh, to the to the to the train station in Cologne. Oh, because the first train out wasn't till like ten o'clock in the morning. And if there was any kind of check on that curfew, my buddy was extra super duper fucked. Yeah, he's gonna actually have that Article Fifteen coming in. I mean, we're gonna be fucked anyway. Like yeah. we're all fucked anyway, but. We ended up able to convince her to come down in like four o'clock in the morning from uh, from Spangdalem, which is a little bit of a drive, a little bit yeah. of a ways yeah, to Cologne. Yeah, a bit of drive. yeah, the whole time I'm covered in puke, making fun of <laughs> making fun of like other Germans who are like not you know like not sober either. Like yeah. there was a kid with a leather jacket without a shirt on and uh and I yeah you know, I was like yo it's July dude like why the fuck do you have a leather jacket? Like I'm not even worried about the the shirt. That you lost that somewhere along. What made you think that the leather jacket was a good idea? Like it's y'all don't man why do you have on a leather jacket in July? Cuz it was it was it was like July 7th or no It's, it's funny the shit that stands out. Uh, over the years, like like the, the you can probably remember that gentleman with no jacket on with yeah, this, uh, or no no shirt on with that fucking jacket like vividly. It was yeah you know, shit. It was like it was like it was June because it was ninety nine. Mm. It was right before because uh, ninety nine, right before the one hundred. Yeah, I remember that. Sorry, I interrupt your thought. No, no, no worries, man. No, that's funny shit. Yeah, it's crazy. We, we we're at the same event and everything like that. Yeah, it's so crazy that 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 the way that that happened. It was a fantastic card. I'm sorry you missed some of it. Well, I got to I got to watch. I bought it. Um, I bought it when it came out on DVD. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the other cool thing about uh, Ace is they always carried the DVDs. DVDs, yeah, yeah. And so I was able to get it and and finally watch it. And I and I will say that. Uh, um, Mr. Kane Velasquez has some amazing takedowns, and that Czech Congo is still fighting is a testament to his uh, toughness as well. Well, because, he's still winning too because he was yeah. uh, an older guy then. Yeah, you know, and so. But I want to know what type of fucking thing that he's eating or whatever that gets him because he's he still passes every drug test. Yeah, I'm just gonna say, but he looks like like the what a Rocky villain would be afraid of. Not a Rocky villain, but what a Rocky villain would be afraid of. He's genetically just a whole other specimen. Oh, yeah, it's like doesn't even look like an like if you put me next to him, I'm not the same species. Yeah, not the same species. He's just he's one of those dudes where he he looks like a superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like he like if someone was like you know. I wonder what Luke Cage looks like in real life. <laughs> yeah. It would look a lot like Czech Congo. Yeah. If you were to if you were to paint 
you know, like a guy who, like, yeah, that's it's Luke Cage. Yeah. Chad Congo is Luke Cage. He's also got, like, one of those names that is just fucking really cool. Yeah, you can't get... Yeah, go wrong with Czech Congo. I remember the first time I saw him fight was Mustafa Al Turk. Al Turk, yeah, yeah, I remember that fight too. In uh, it was what I think that was ninety two, something like that, yeah. Because that was when um, wasn't that uh, Brock Lesnar, Lesnar, Randy Couture? Oh, was that Randy? That was Brock Lesnar, Randy Couture, right? right. And I think that was also Rampage Jackson and Vanderlay three. yeah, you might be right. First round. I think for- you have a better memory than me. Mine's, mine's shot too much weed. By the way, I just want to point something out. We were talking about Joey Fedak, right? Yes. You ready to see something? There's Joey. This is that last day I was just talking about where we are sparring each other. There's Jesus. But Joey Fedak right there. Holy smokes. Yeah. That was nuts, isn't it? So we're we're doing this sparring day. There's Jeff Sanderson, Dwight. I I think he was um uh, security force as well. Uh, Dwight was uh, Dwight uh, Satterwhite. The name's from or Dwayne Satterwhite. Excuse me, Dwayne Satterwhite. Uh, but yeah, we, it, it was it's so funny. And, and he ended up getting stationed here in Alaska, and and then we trained together. And I I, I turned him into the two hundred five champ. So we met in Germany and turned him into a 205 champ. It was how, awesome. How has that um, transition been? Has it been beneficial for you as a coach to be a referee as well? Or and oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I actually honestly think that it's it's something like if you want to be a good coach, you should know every aspect of it. Um, and I think that's kind of what my what I'm going for is just a coach. I, I want to guide people to make sure that there's not the mistakes like I had, right? But um, – uh, with refereeing, like I think it's one of the best things a coach could actually try out or do something like that because you're going to understand and you see a fight from an angle which most people don't get to see in a fight from that angle. You got to analyze and you got to see how the fight goes. And plus, you got to understand you have to have more of an understanding or gripping of the rules and how the rules can, well, one, be slightly bent and things like that. And when it gets to the point of being broken. Um, how to discipline uh, the fighters or know when to discipline and such like that and, and it kind of understand the fight even more and more. I think refereeing, one of the great things about it is is you do honestly get a better sense of how the fight is because you're right on top of it and if you know what the hell you're doing, you're not trying to interfere in the fight, you're just trying to understand the fight. Not interfere the fight, but understand the fight. So as the fight's going and the fight's progressing and understanding what's going on with the fight. So say if something's going wrong, like somebody's getting their fucking ass kicked and, and they're getting punched, like they're getting TKO'd on the ground and stuff like that you have to have the understanding of when that they're not capable to protect themselves intelligently and you got to look at those type of things when you're in that and that close to action eventually you'll see it more and more and plus you can actually read it more uh when out the to be honest the expression of the fighter and then what i mean by expression not just the emotion on their face but their body posture how they're moving what they're doing so and so forth um it, it's it, i think it's a great tool and i think it's one of the things that has made me a really good coach to be honest i um uh, i'm pretty confident in what i do and what i teach uh but i i gotta tell you that going through and that was actually a really good question but actually 
doing all the the refereeing and things like that and being that close to a fight and actually seeing how it's going you can actually see how people are processing you're talking back and forth with the fighters and and you know what their emotions and stuff is going through that's i think one of the most valuable tools i think i've ever utilized or been able to utilize for being a coach i think that's one of the best things because it's one thing watching on television it's one thing watching from the stands but when you're actually really in there and plus that's the closest thing you can get to the fight without being in a fight so um i was talking about earlier the reason that i wanted to fight because i i I never had a fight until i actually had a fight inside of a ring or cage i never had a fight outside never once never in a bar never nothing i've diffused a lot of situations but i never had a fight um so trying to understand that more that that right there was the the best uh or not the best it it was the closest that you could ever get to a fight without being in the fight is being that referee point and plus uh the great thing about doing it for people that are actually preparing for a fight is you have two people that are agreeing to do it it's not like two buddies that i'm gonna fight you you fight me and go in there it's not seeing that it's two guys you can actually see them Thinking about situations like I go this way, I go this way, I throw this punch, I throw this punch, I throw this kick, I throw this kick, I got this counter, I can do this counter. You can see them actually doing that. And if you're a fan of chess, it's really good. It's just like positioning, like they you know, put this piece over here, put them thinking this way, go this way, go that way, so on and so forth. But utilizing that. But when you're that close, when you get to actually see that, it's so awesome. There's that, uh, what the hell is his name? The referee that he was a big meme on internet for a long time something willis big smile on his face you know like uh he's sitting there watching a fight like he lands it oh that's good that's good that type of shit it's like i'm the same way when i'm in there when somebody landed something good like boom they got that good i was like man, that's a good shot it's like oh man i'm gonna learn from that so i'm actually sitting there trying to as a martial artist i'm sitting there watching these guys and like you know so, oh shit you know something i just saw something i never thought about before it's like this guy did this this guy did that or this guy like say on the ground situation you know you know like how this guy bettered his situation from say he was on the bottom so so maybe he came up with a different escape or a different reversal or something like that that i might not have seen firsthand with myself grappling rolling or so on and so forth but i just saw somebody do it in action where it was at the most dire situation where they're getting their ass beat and so on and so forth and that's what they had to do so that shows more and more application where the application is is fun doing training and stuff sparring so and so forth rolling and such but looking at what really works when it matters the most is some of the most valuable information i think i've ever gotten so being a referee where i get to see people take all these ideas ideas and 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 situations that they think of when they're actually training and doing sparring and doing rolling and jujitsu class kickboxing class boxing class whatever seeing them actually apply it has allowed me to weed out a lot of bullshit when it comes to my own training. So finding things that work and don't work and seeing it firsthand because I, I've, I've, I've taken a lot of martial arts over the years. And the greatest thing when it comes to the refereeing is actually seeing what works. I've seen gentlemen that have never trained before beat a guy that's a black belt in four or five different martial arts and see the reasons why. And this guy can't figure it out, but this guy's a black belt in four different martial arts, but couldn't beat this guy that's never trained a day in his life. 
in seeing that, but knowing what this guy was doing naturally, which naturally. So think about this. Sometimes martial arts try and put you down a path that is not right for you, right? Mm. Not right for you. So you're going down like a uh, like path of least, least resistance, but you're actually going against the most resistance because somebody's telling you exactly how you have to do things. Okay. Sometimes that's not the best course of action because like with a completely systemized, uh, systemized way of actually teaching, you got to only do it this way, this way, this way. You got to turn your head this way. You got to do that. Might not be work. There's always going to be some laws in play in how the body is going to work and govern and things like that. But people too much try and pigeonhole people and put them into a certain type of style. Um, that's the reason that you got this guy that that spent all this time. Like I said, he had three or four black belts and multiple different martial arts. He had a black belt in jujitsu, taekwondo, all this silly nonsense. And he had this guy that never really fought before. The crazy thing about this fight was, is this guy that never fought before took down the jujitsu black belt and beats him on the ground. How does that happen? So you go to think, it was like, why is that? But then when you're in the refereeing, you can see is like, oh, it's because he did this, he did this. He was expecting this because he's used to this and he's thinking about like, oh, he's going to do this, this, and this. But this guy that has no technique is not going to do what you think he's going to do. He, and so instead of, he was always thinking like he's going to do this, this, and this and because he's used to a certain thing coming at him. Just like a boxer, a boxer that's used to a, just a jab, a cross, and a hook, right? A jab and a cross and a hook. You know how to defend, pair the jab, block the cross, block the hook. You know, getting used to that. But what if you have a guy that's just throwing big shots or you like more of a Mexican, Mexican fighter getting inside and keep their arms in close and just coming up and around and things like that. We can go deal with those guys. You have a big problem because if you're just sitting there doing this type of thing because you're used to just a proper boxer, which a proper boxer should be staying behind the jab and utilizing the cross and the hook. Only uppercuts when the person's ducking down. So um, when you have one of those unorthodox guys, people they don't know how to deal with it. Just like, um, and you've rolled a lot, correct? Yeah. You've done a lot of jujitsu. In the past. In, in the, the previous past. life. In the previous life. There you go. So it's just like uh, sometimes you'll see a really, really novice person tap out a purple or a brown. And they do it because it's something unexpected and they're not, uh, it, uh, to be honest, they're, they're, they're not expecting it. And, and people get complacent in that way. It's not going to mean that it's ever going to happen again because these people will actually, uh, actually figure it out and so on and so forth and not allow this person to do it again. But my thing was always trying to see where the proper way the body's going to go with certain different things and how the body's going to move in this position. You have to deal with it so on and so forth to make so it doesn't matter if you have this person that's just a novice that'll catch us because we weren't expecting it. We need to expect an unexpected, but on the expecting unexpected, you just really really simple just got to make your defense better so making your defense better so and so forth but i'm rambling here um uh so looking at the the fight as close as i get when it comes to refereeing i get that chance to actually see where the proper defenses need to be where the advantages are going to be this way like and so and so for when it comes to the defense fight i love it for that for that aspect but also looking where the pass of the offense needs to go a lot of people are fighting too much on their offense 
And when I mean by fighting, they're going force against force instead of finding the path of least resistance. You can find the path of least resistance. Well, it, it, it was an amazing fight in the last AFC card up there with uh, Justin Buckles and, and, uh, and uh, 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 Carlton. Uh, in that fight, it was amazing because you, you saw one guy that was completely square staying there. This guy was just kind of slipping off and landing that jab, slipping off, landing that cross. When he was utilizing the, like he was doing a lot of the, peppering with the jab and then trying to land the right hand. So peppering with the jab, landing the right hand. When he was doing that, he was trying to angle outside of the foot and just get that position that would force Mr. Buckles to actually make an adjustment before he could actually throw or land anything. So if you go to the outside foot, subtle little thing. Things. I don't even know if he was noticing what he was doing. But that small little thing, pepper jab, move to the outside, step to the outside of his lead foot, throwing the cross and then landing that cross, that forces that other person to readjust while he really readjusts. Uh, Carlton now has another position. He's one step ahead, so now he can actually attack onto Carlton, actually make another attack right after it. Because, so what I mean is like, so you attack here, right here, and you make that adjustment right here. Now, Justin can't, he doesn't have an angle for anything. So he's actually going to have to rotate. As he rotates, you already know he has to rotate before he hits you. So you turn first and then you have that advantage again because you're already one step ahead. Because you know if you do bop, 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 you do this, his only option, he can't go this way, is to rotate out this way. So you've closed off all of his other options. So as he rotates out this way, you know he's going that way, so you've already adjusted your offense to know that he is gonna go that way, so you can go right back into it. So he's making himself to be one step ahead of him the whole time. It was, it was beautiful to watch. It was beautiful to see him dissect. It was good to actually listen to his corner. His corner as well, um, uh, uh, Giovanni uh, uh, Devera, I'm saying his name right, Gio is a, is a great guy. I've known him for years. Um, but he does a really good job of setting up his guys and he does a really good job of coming up with code words for his 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 setups. And it's funny because uh, Justin Puckles being coach, he was kind of going off of that as well. So you you would see him multiple times in the fight and go back and watch it. You'll see Justin Buckles look over at the corner where Gio and stuff is when he's saying stuff like uh, uh, salt and pepper him. Uh, do this, do that, and the different things. Uh, Maurice Mitchell, think about the Maurice. Give him a little bit of the Maurice Mitchell. Yeah, he's, the little code words that he has been, he's going off of different things. He'll say like the Chad Mendez, overhand right and roll out to the outside. You know, those type of things. You'll see those things from there, and you hear him yelling, and you'll see him, uh, like uh, people that they're fighting, look over and it's like, what the hell does that mean? Instead of that person worrying about fighting that person that's the other thing if you need you need if you ever have a fighter if you ever trying to train a fighter tell them not to listen to you and in, in during the round and not to listen to the other corner they shouldn't listen to any voice except for one their own okay so when you're inside the ringer cage fuck a coach fuck the other corner fuck the crowd you listen to your voice and you beat the other person up that's it so the funniest thing is is, is watching these people at that uh, like you know going back and forth and I'm one of the worst ones because I yell I'm a loud person to begin with but I'm sitting there yelling and stuff like that but I I always think to myself it's like this doesn't help doesn't help really very much at all (laughs) in between rounds it helps Uh, but like during that they need to be actually thinking on their own If if they haven't prepared enough beforehand that they need you to be guiding them along even though like grappling situations where there's smaller details going against a higher person say they're in your corner and you can take them through it that's actually a good idea but you know like even in the beginning when i was actually coaching i thought that the yelling pro- thing was 
more of an issue than it was actually a good thing. Because you've got to realize when you're in there, you might be seeing things and you know what they're going to yell at because if they're uh, uh, giving you a command, then you that command, you if they're yelling that command and you don't know the command, you're not going to throw it anyways. But if you know the command, you should have already known it and you should have been able to throw it your damn self. So most people, like uh, one thing is, um, I'm a big fan of Custimoto. Custimoto uh, had this awesome uh, quote was, uh, he would, and I, I'm going to butcher it, but is, uh, is uh, my job is done when the fighter is independent of me, when he no longer needs me, where he can go on and be without me, uh, then I'm successful. It's, it's not until that point that I would be successful, until that I've coached that person to actually be independent of me where it doesn't need me. So like going back to like when people are fighting and such like that, they shouldn't need a coach yelling at them. And in my mind, and this is me personally, and and from now on, I, I'm going to do my best to do so, is I should not be talking. And, and there's a good coaches I really, really respect that, that are this way. Greg Jackson's one of them. Greg Jackson don't really say much. He's a good job and things like that. He he has that philosophy as well. But uh, another one is like Freddie Roach, Eddie Futch. Uh, I was just talking about Castiamato. Castiamato ain't gonna say shit, you know, like and things like that. But only there are times where you have to bring your fighter back into focus. So there's like say he's getting his ass kicked and things like that, or maybe he's on the verge of slipping when both of you guys are head to head and things. One of the beautiful times where that happened was Timothy Bradley when he was getting coached by Teddy Atlas and he was you know talking about the firefighter speech and stuff like that. But those types uh, times are good. But eventually, if you want to be a really good coach, I think the most important thing you need to do is have them be completely independent of you. Uh, and yeah, that I think determines being a good coach. How the hell did we get on that long of a thing? And how long was I talking for? I couldn't tell you. Uh, uh, one thing, though, before before we get out of here, I do want to. We're gonna have to wrap this up. Yeah. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think is the next fighter out of Alaska to, to make an impact? I mean, you. Um, you did, I I see a lot of people that that have a lot of promise. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I can say several different names. I'm not gonna say one. Uh, Charlie Johnson has a good chance. We know Dennis Bryant's doing something. Uh, Nico Novelli out of Legacy Jiu-Jitsu is doing something. He's going to Hawaii. There's a lot of people that are. Uh, there's a lot of people, like you were saying, a renewed interest into it. And there's a lot of really, really talented fighters and a lot of talented people up here. And they just have to put the work in. Uh, I'm excited, uh, and but then again, I'm kind of biased. Is but Nino Delgado, and I'm gonna keep saying his name over and over and over. But Nino Delgado is a, a guy when it comes to boxing. You guys need to pay attention to it before. He's been in the amateur boxing scene for years and years and years. Uh, once the kid decides to go pro, he's gonna really rack things up real quick. But you should see him on the next. You know, to be honest. USA Olympic team. You should see him on there. He's uh, number two in the uh, nation at 141. And that's the kid you want to look at. But there's a lot of them. Uh, Dominic Merriweather. He's a kid that a lot of people talk about. 
Um, there's a lot of people here, even down here, like one person I love seeing all the time is John Ray Jones. John Ray Jones, if he wants to actually put a lot of work in and things like that, that kid could go anywhere. I saw my first John Ray Jones fight mm-hmm. this past Thursday, and holy smokes, this, mm-hmm. uh, this oh, I think it was an overhand right in the yep. second round, and really knocked in a, knocked this kid unconscious. I, I was worried about him for a second. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was a clean hit, and the gentleman was uh, taking a nap for a little bit. Um, but John Ray is a great kid, and uh, I, I would love for him to put some full effort into doing some training and some fighting. Um, he's already fought um, uh, for a title and such before. He needs to work on things like wrestling and such like that on the MMA side. Comes to the back boxing side, he's won um, his tough man style boxing, but tough man boxing championship for Thursday night fights multiple years and, and such like that. I'd love to see him do more, and I think he could do more if he wants to. Um, there's a, there's a lot of these kids, like I was saying, Charlie Johnson, Dominic Merriweather, uh, nap time, um, uh, Nick here and Webb's back fighting. There's, there's a lot of different people. There's a lot of kids out of, uh, there's this, um, um, kid, something off field and K- not Casey chase It's either chase off field or Casey Alfield. I want people to look out for him. Um, he's fought just a handful of times. And he just started, he's about 19, 20 years old, out, out of Fairbanks. And he lost to somebody, um, not this last AFC, but the AFC before. And one of the reasons he lost is he took the fight on short notice. That's one, because somebody fell out. And he was going against a guy who had much more experience. Um, and uh, he, he was significantly... Um, lower or lower in weight than the person that he was going against so he took this fight in short notice but that kid's really good he's good and he's developing the ground game they got a good grappling uh gym that that going on up there in fairbanks and shout out to them they they're doing an amazing job um i I, i'm trying to remember what the name is and and i i feel bad that i don't know their name so i apologize but that he's out of the, that group. There's Seth Kroll, Colin Reuter, um, Scott McAfee. That's where Justin Buckles was up there training in Fairbanks. I guess he's from Fairbanks. Um, but the, them and I and I feel really bad. I don't remember the coach's name, but I, I I'll, I'll remember it soon. Um, uh, and they they do a fantastic job. There's a lot of kids up there that can do well. And you know you got to think about it is if you don't have much to do and you're in the the Arctic tundra up there. You know, you, you get into fighting and such like that, and you put in a lot of work, and you have something like a Benjamin Bennett, which, like, to be honest, you know, he's 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 already signed a Brave, and he's going to have his first fight coming up here in next month, I do believe. It's like June, yeah. in the beginning of June. And it's in uh, Belfast, Ireland, I think. So that's his, his very first pro fight, and he was amateur world champion. Um, so guys got to, like, yeah, to be honest, if they put the work in, the sky's the limit. And that's one of the things that, well, before we get out of here, like that's a conversation that I've had is that uh, training up here is is optimal. If you are a serious athlete and you are very concerned with getting away from all of the distractions, we are in an environment where, I mean, especially if you're, say, in Fairbanks or down on this Kenai Peninsula, where you don't have the distractions that you, you would have, you don't 
you 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 know who your farmers are. If you're looking for fruit, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, you know who your farmers are, uh, because all of those things are coming from a local place. There is nothing to do but train for uh, for seven months of the year. So if you're looking for a place to train, a place to focus on, you know, getting you know your your squat up to a thousand or working on your your kickboxing or or your jujitsu and you just want to focus i don't think there there's a better place than alaska yeah uh people i think discredit a lot of the solitude you know like getting in there and actually putting in that work um there's a lot of benefit to it and you know it it's just a different type of lifestyle up here for a lot of people and i i alaska just breeds tough people are you familiar with uh may britain no Okay, so she's a 40-odd-year-old woman out of Nikiski. She is also the world blue belt champion in, uh, in jiu-jitsu. She just got her purple belt. But, I mean, she's a world champion coming out of uh, Redemption. Oh, actually, no, I do know who she is. I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I was trying to uh, place her. I know who she is. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, I, I like to use her as an example. That Like, if you are in a place where you could focus on training, anything is possible anything that you really want to do and she's the perfect example uh liz clay is another example of that being up here in the solitude and being able to get the attention from coaches uh to really drill hour after hour and it's not only that i'm going to shout out to her her siblings because yeah i know her siblings train as well but she she definitely beats up on them a little bit um sean babbitt's i think another kid you're going to see uh as far as jiu-jitsu competitions go. Who's he out of? He's out of here. He's out of Redemption, but he's a young kid. He's like 16 years. I think he, I don't even think he's 16 yet. But, I mean, he's been training the same set of coaches that uh, that Liz had. Awesome. Uh, and he's been, he's there every day. And he's riding his bicycle from Kasilov, 12 miles away, you know, going in there. His parents are ultra supportive of him. His parents, you know, I think his mom rolls... His dad is the uh, the veggie bus guy, so like he's the guy that you know makes sure that all of us locals are getting like you know fresh cauliflower and shit. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. So and like, but this like being here, this is a place where we get to have those stories. You know, mm-hmm. like we have these world champions here that are training, and we you know we also have our people who are you know controlling you know how we're getting our food and we're making sure that we get fresh food. So I mean. I think that there's there's something to be said about training up here, and I think that in the next five years, that uh, Alaska is becoming going to become a mecca for for high level athletic training. Well, I I think so as well. I, I think that's a good thought. But it, like one of the things I I think it's also we need to keep um, building up when it comes to like the level of coaches and the people around here. Um, but it has the opportunity to do so. Like if if Pat Militich can make Bettendorf, Iowa, like a mecca of MMA, and he did it, and he was like that way for 10 years, a decade, you know, and uh, and that was kind of the same thing. All they did was hang out and train, and talk about training, watch fighting, doing things like that. They could obsess themselves with it. There was little to no distraction. Their distractions were simple things. They weren't extravagant, crazy things, you know, and, and they at one time had, I think, four of the UFC belts at the same time out of Pat Militich and it was a small place like that. It's the same thing can happen any place. And if we develop this community where people are growing together and doing things like that and 
you know, I, I've been trying to help out with uh, the amateur boxing, with the, uh, with the, uh, with the MMA, with the uh, kickboxing, everything that goes on around here to try and grow this because there is this massive potential here for Alaska to actually be something with such a small populace. And, and like I was saying, just the people here in Alaska are just a different people. They're a different breed because they have dealt with and understand to deal with adversity a little bit differently. Um, so just a different group doesn't mean all of us are that way, but it, it means that a lot of the people that have met just a different type of person and, uh, and they'll work their ass off when they, when they got a fire on them. And uh, I would love to see some of these guys to venture off and pass it. Yeah, just, uh, uh, tonight we had a, a guy, Jared Cannonier was fighting in Chile he was fighting there. Jared Cannonier was training here. I used to train with him all the time. I even trained with him before one of his last uh, UFC fight and did sparring with him at ABA. It was like, I think twice um, uh, with him in two different days doing uh, sparring, but you know, working with him. But look, at, he's doing amazing. 205 and he's doing good. He, he the, the fight didn't go his way this, uh, I guess, tonight. But, you know, he's doing excellent. How did so Damian I'm, Maya do? I don't know. I that that that's a good question, man. I, I want to find out as well because he was going against uh, Usman. Kamaru Usman, yeah. Uh, I'm excited for that. Scary. Both guy. fighters I like. Both fighters I really really uh, like. Shout out to to Damian Maya for taking on Kamaru Usman. Who I think is ranked like 13. I think he's ranked outside of the top 10. Yeah. Damian Maya, you know, his last fight against Colby Covington. If if Kamaru Usman, uh, Kamaru Usman smoked him. Then, you know, it, it looks good for Kamaru. If Damian Maya worked him over, then it doesn't look so good. But we need to wrap this up so that we can look this up. All right, uh, Jared, if people want to, um, if uh, someone wants to book you as a referee or as a coach, how do they do that? Uh, you can just find me on uh, Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, uh, I'm probably the best way. Uh, Jared Simmons, J A R I D S Y M E N S on Instagram. Uh, Coach Grizzly AK. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was a lot of rambling.